you're popular and famous. <laughs> famous on Facebook. Oh my god. Yeah. Not as a writer, however. <laughs> no, just as a frosted vagina. Oh, that's going on Facebook for sure. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Joe, how do you say it in Japanese? And how do you say it in English? Writers read their always. Thanks, man. Welcome back to Writers Read Their Early Shit. Conversations with authors and artists about the lopsided pleasures of their pre-developed, over-early, unripe work. I'm your host, Jason M.D., recording in Gifu Rock City. My special guest this episode, all the way from bucolic northern England, is an old friend, a traveler, a memoirist, and a Buddhist cartoonist. Last night she dreamt that somebody loved her. It's Victoria Madeline Mary Taylor. Hi, Vic. Hi, Jason. How you doing? <laughs> I am super good. I just made a frosted vagina. A frosted vagina. <laughs> I did. With sparkles. We have a Zoom baby shower today. Mm. And no one has ever wanted a vagina cake, but since they can't actually eat it, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to make it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> you want mm. me to send you some? Yes. Vic, before we get into your embarrassing early work, I have a couple uh, of questions for you. Shit. Do you agree with this statement from Morrissey? There's more oh. to life than books, you know, but not much more. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. He knows everything, that man. <laughs> I know you're a great reader, but oh. what, was the, what was the first book that you remember loving? As a child or an adult? As a child, yeah. <laughs> okay, I clearly remember being sat on my bedroom floor one day looking at my bookcase, and I'd read, like, everything in that bookcase, but there were two books that looked really boring, you know. They didn't have fly leaves or anything, and they just had very boring writing on the spine, so I'd never even touched them. And this day I was so damn bored, I thought, okay, I'm going to open these and see what the hell and it opened up a whole world of pleasure. It was Five Go Off to Kirin Island by Enid Blyton. Mm. Yeah. I just re-bought that, actually, in an antiquarian bookshop for the pleasure of that boring, <laughs> boring spine, which holds such treats. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last book that you remember loving as an adult? Girl, Woman, Other, of the latest batch I've just read. Mm -hmm. I'm actually reading five books at the moment, but that one, I'm just looking for that one again. That was phenomenal. Have you read it? No. Bernadine, uh, I'm not even going to embarrass myself by trying to remember her name, but it's a good one. It's like little short stories of femmes of all kinds growing up in time. It is phenomenal. If I were to ask you your, your top five books of all time, what would what would pop into your mind? Okay, the book that took me to college was 100 Years of Solitude, and I still love it. Though It, it gives me the creeps now, but I still love it as a, as a work of art. It's genius. Um, what else? Harry Potter. I still love her. 
even if she is a turf, I still love her. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my comfort reading. Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Forever and ever. I have just got out of the library. Mr. Darcy's Diary. <laughs> Don't know what that's about, but could be fun. Um, a Book of Poetry by Wendy Cope, mm-hmm. which has one of my favorite poems of all time called Giving Up Smoking. Mm. <laughs> I've yet to do. Right. But I love it. How many is that? Three. Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, of course, the Sandman. Does that count as literature? Sure. Sandman comics. Yeah. Yeah. The Sandman comics, which I'm trying to buy again because I've got the whole series in a trunk somewhere in Cape Town, but I want them again. And Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking, Mm. which is one of those books, you know, you lend to people and you have to buy it again because they never fucking give it (laughs) back. Because they never give it back, right? (laughs) Here, this is from my teenage diary when I was age 17. There's a list of books to read. Read or... uh, and look how pretentious I was. I've got read or read, uh, read, R-E-A-D. There's four books there. And then read. And to specify, I've spelt it R-E-E-D. Just so you, knew, so you knew what to do. Yeah. Wait a second. Just can you briefly describe your travels, like where you, where you were born, where you grew up? Because I know you were all over the place all the time. Oh, my God. All, the, all over the place, all the time. Okay. Born in North Yorkshire. The best con- best county in the world. Mm. Age two, we immigrated on a big boat to Africa. We docked at Cape Town, took the train to Botswana, and that's where I grew up uh, until age eleven. In Bots- which- where in Botswana? Habarone, the capital. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, I've been to late- Botswana, but not to the capital. Not to the capital. Oh, you've been up the top. I haven't even been up the top. I, Only I crossed my one of my host fathers in Zimbabwe was an engineer and his company was building a dam or something, a bridge or a dam in Botswana. Uh-huh. So he said, Do you want to come over to Botswana? I said, Yes, of course. You know. <laughs> sure. And we went over. Yeah, I just remember you could buy uh Lucky Strikes in Botswana, <laughs> which you couldn't get in Zimbabwe. And we were Wherever this bridge or dam was, we were just in the middle of nowhere. And I was in the uh, camper, camper van sleeping. Mm-hmm. I remember going to sleep and it was brutally hot and then waking up and it was brutally cold and going <laughs> out, going out to, to urinate and looking up and going, oh, my goodness, I've never seen the stars. I like, remember that clearly, too. Yeah. They were like on top of your head, right? Yes. Three-dimensional. Yeah, unbelievable, right? Because there was nothing yeah. to – yeah, fantastic. Yeah, anyway, yeah, sorry I, to interrupt I, did, you. I went to Zimbabwe once, and we stopped off at Nata Lodge, which is on the road. And, yeah, I went out at night there, and I, it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. Were we there at the same time? Surely not. <laughs> yeah, we were. I was there from 73 until – 89, I guess I started living in England permanently. Oh, okay, because it's 89 that I went to Zimbabwe. So we just ah, imagine if we imagine if we'd we were we might have been on the same plane. Oh my god, hi, hi, I would have said, yeah, <laughs> and I would go, hi, yeah, me too, because <laughs> <laughs> my... you could smoke on planes back then. That's Those were the true, days. yes, okay. So um, you were in Botswana until. 
when I was 11, I went to boarding school in England, again in North Yorkshire. Uh-huh. And I, I was back and forth to Botswana every holiday or to my dad's. He was in Belize, which mm. is now a rich playground. But in those days, you had you had to shit on a plank, you know, <laughs> with a long drop. <laughs> <laughs> shit on a plank? <laughs> well, wow. there was a hole in the plank, of course. Okay. <laughs> Through a plank then. Through a plank. So then what? So then I stayed in England after finishing school. And uh, I couldn't get to college immediately because they still counted me. They counted me as a foreigner because I was under 18 and my home was Botswana. So they called me a foreign student. We couldn't afford it. So I moved to Cambridge and worked in the university library. Best job I've ever had. Mm. And then Pizza Hut, which was shite, of course. And finally, I went to college in Southampton because I read 100 Years of Solitude. I thought, I want to study Spanish and read this in the original. So I did. Went to college. Oh, that was really Thank the you. reason? Yeah. Mm. And uh, Pedro Almodovar as well. I've been watching his ridiculous Spanish films and thought, Spanish rocks. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I went, to, I went to the interview in this purple velvet max pencil maxi skirt and a purple fake fur jacket because I didn't have a suit <laughs> that was my suit and uh yeah got the got the gig right of course <laughs> why do you want to study Spanish and I just gushed about Garcia Marquez and Almodovar and they said you're in yep so then of course Spanish I spent a year in Venezuela where I never actually went to the university I was supposed to be going to because it was on strike like the whole year. And I <laughs> went near it, there was someone throwing tear gas, so fuck that. Uh, and I wrote a dissertation on a syncretist cult religion kind of thing, which was great fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back to England, Spain for a while to study being an English teacher, Botswana, Peru, and then finally ended up in Japan for 20 years. 21. Uh, actually, no, because I took a three-year break to go to Cape Town and get me a wife. Right. <laughs> were you in Gifu the whole time you were in Japan? Yep. Um, apart from the first three months, I was in Aichi uh, and, yeah, moved to Gifu. The rest is history. Yeah, so that's me. I've been everywhere. I know you're a writer. I know you're a writer because you're one of the very few people in the world whoever sent me a proper letter. <laughs> there you go. That doesn't happen very often, right? Thank uh, you for all your postcards, by the way. I oh. finally found you a Darlington postcard. Did oh, you yeah? Like no, yeah. N- no, not yet. No, not yet. Okay, well, uh, here's the back of it. Okay. I'm getting it soon. <laughs> wait. But you are one of the sort of people that, that I've known that mm-hmm. liked to write, that enjoyed writing sitting mm-hmm. down and putting stuff on it, whether it was a letter or whatever. And then as I got to know you better, I realized you were kind of genre hopping. Is that the right word? You were doing writing, you were doing collage type stuff. You were drawing. You've always been working on stuff, right? You've always been creating stuff. Why do you, or. I or, always wanted to write for sure, but I never knew what to write about. And then I don't know. I just, I just started one day and that's it. Memoirist is probably a better term for me. When was that day? What day was that? Um, that was actually, when was that? 2014 or 2015. 
you know what? I'd been writing a journal for three years by then. And that that was a big trigger. When I went to the ashram in India, um, I started writing a journal every single day. So I was used to the daily writing act by 2014. And um, challenge came up. I know there's challenges all over the place, but this one is the first time I'd heard of the 100-day challenge. And it was this uh, thing out of New Zealand where it's just, you know, any any creator or anyone wanting to practice something. The theory is if you do something for 100 days, it gets you into good habits and you can learn new skills, whatever. So I thought, cool, I'll do that. And um, I'd always wanted to be writing about uh, my story with me and my wife because we had some, we did some crazy shit. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, fact is stranger than fiction, right? And I thought, I really want to write this stuff down one day. And I thought, right, do it now. But I didn't trust my writing enough. And I also wanted to practice my drawing. So I just put it together as a comic. Why did you not trust your writing? Um, I've always felt a bit uh, self-conscious and worse, pretentious when writing stuff. I'm like, who who wants to read this shit? I mean, I do. And Mm. that's why I was such a good letter writer, because that was my favorite writing was letters because I could tell the stories and I was writing to somebody I knew very well. So I knew my audience. I could just be myself, I guess. But it seemed like to write for a wider audience and I had no real concept of who that might be. Mm. It was just intimidating. So I never really did it. Never really published any. And certainly not poetry. When you hear my teenage poetry, you'll understand why. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah. How do you think your life would have been different if you didn't do all that stuff? Oh, my God. I think it would have been quite boring. It's like journals. Journals are like this little private place where your real life happens, where you get to, I don't know, analyze all the shit that went on during the day, the week, what you think of people. It's like your best mate journaling. Do you still do it now too? No, I'm quite lax now. But... um. My journal is on the table now with my pen ready to go. Okay. Should we get into your early shit? Yeah, yeah. What what have you got? What do you got for us? I have got for you my journal from 1989. Mm. The 20th of January, 1989 is the first day. And it's got all sorts of things in it. It's got my recommended reading list for A-levels, which are age 18. And it's got all the classics. It's got like Oscar Wilde, Jane Austen, Dickens, Graham Greene, William Golding, Muriel Spark. So that's the kind of stuff I was reading at the time. Though I, being pretentious, was reading lots of French stuff in translation because I was Utterly, utterly pretentious. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank God I've only got one page of nonsense. Okay. But I can't wait to hear it. Okay, so let me give you some little, little, just little, um, little, even, not even one-liners, just word plays. No, just read the whole thing. Okay, okay. Here we go. <laughs> the worst <laughs> okay the worst one this is called 
peeking between my hands, sotto voce. Mm. <laughs> of course, oh, course, oaf, fuck off and die. <laughs> Lay off or lie low, like so, so I can stand and lie a low course, so late, so long. Are you gone? Mm. It's, it's, mm. so, it's so defiant, but also <laughs> quest, so, so, so tender, so, so, so vulnerable. <laughs> and I've got my, my notes here. Ply your lewd cause is a different an option. <laughs> what? Ply your nude cause? Lewd. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Ply your lewd cause. I guess someone was harassing me. I guess. Okay. Okay, and some panery. Yeah. I've got inconsequent, constant verbal incontinence. <laughs> <laughs> I just like playing with words, I guess. Clearly. Okay, a plagiarism on both your houses. <laughs> if honest, if <laughs> if honesty's a virtue, earnesty's a vice. Vicious virtue stew. Mm. <laughs> what mumbo jumbo? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit a plagiarism on both your houses, though. I like that. That's I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. why I kept it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called when you blatantly copy someone after after Wendy Cope? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is what age though? Well, this must have been after, because I didn't read Wendy Cope till my 20s, I don't think. Okay, I shall read you it anyway. Okay. Yeah. To Wendy Cope, giving up smoking. There's not a Barclay menthol or a John Player special I've sparked up, puffed, and haven't finished yet. Till one day, lips pressed, I said, hang on, love, took one puff and threw away the rest. <laughs> <laughs> the meat is almost there. Yeah, it's beautiful. I might uh, take smoking up again, thanks to that. <laughs> Don't blame me, all right? Blame I'm, Wendy Cope. No, I'll, I'll blame you. Since I was a pretentious teenager reading all these French novels, I always I had this burning desire to be written about like the ladies. Draw me like one of your French girls, you know? Mm. You're written about like that as something timeless, cool, stylish. I don't know, all the words you can think of to describe the young girls in French novels, right? <laughs> I always wanted that. What do I do these days? I, I'm not so interested in seeing myself written about like that, but I find sentences just arriving in my head. They don't make it to paper, mostly. But I find them and think, hey, yeah, I'd like to read that sentence. That would impress me. For people who may be listening to this podcast who have no idea what you're talking about, could you mm -hmm. explain about what that? I've, what I've written? Well, yeah, what you and why you are writing about it. Okay, well, I've written, I suppose I've produced two things. I wrote a comic, which was about how me and my wife met the early days 
and our crazy little journey to getting married and that was in comic form so there wasn't that much writing involved more drawing and the second one was another 100 days memories of when after she died i wanted to get as many things about her memorized before they faded away mm. and i'm so glad i did because it's what 5 years now and even after 2 years they were really beginning to fade and i don't know if that's because i got them out of my head and so eased up space in my head or if they just naturally fade because of memory but i've thought since then of trying to do it again and i don't have enough material anymore it's gone Oh yeah, the little the little moments are gone. So right. I, I'm really now in awe of writers who can write about things like their childhood so clearly. I'm like, how? How has mm. your memory stayed so crystal clear? We think it's kind of you know we're like a videotape and we're recording everything. We can access it at will, but it's not mm-hmm. true. Most of it is gone. And you, you know you know what I have a fear about now as well is that some of those memories um I I didn't make them up I didn't put anything that wasn't true but I perhaps spliced experiences into each other that were very far apart mm. or or made a one story out of various bits and now I'm worried that am I going to remember it like how, those disparate bits or how they all were or am I going to remember that thing that I created right you know that was the best thing about doing the memories um on the relatively new format of like facebook and instagram right um on social media because there were some things i wrote and other people were involved who were reading them at the time and they would comment on a little snippet of how they saw that story mm-hmm. and what they were doing and yeah oh my god i remember that and did you did you know she did this and i learned new stuff from that i made so many people laugh and be really happy because they they remembered those events and mm. and things and they added to them and it was it was it was quite collaborative actually it was really nice do you want to talk about that that whole project Or, the very project yeah the very project yeah um i'd done the comic the 100 days comic writing a comic page every day the story of how we met while very was alive and i was super proud of myself because my drawing really improved and i got a handy little book when people say how do you meet i just handed them the comic and i didn't do it the next year why not it was not the year after that Barry had died so i thought i would do it again and i would continue the story and i remember on day 1 i sat down with all my pencils and my the same notebook i bought and i thought you know what i don't want to draw about our early days again i want to there's so many things i want to do there's like our entire our entire marriage and it was only 8 years but still so much it was an eventful time as you probably remember so i thought no fuck i can't draw a comic i don't want to draw i just want to write about her and i was quite discouraged that first day so i just did a i think okay i'll just do some photos of things i remember so i took a picture of her pants 
<laughs> it was day two, I think. And then I just wrote a little bit. And then I thought, okay, it's got to be creative. So come on, how are you going to do this creatively? And I thought, okay, do them all the colours of the rainbow. And I spent a blissful day with all my coloured pencils and pens because that's what I love more than writing is playing with coloured pens and pencils, actually. <laughs> and I mapped out the whole thing and I thought of photos I knew I had and I thought of events and it was a glorious time of planning and slotting. This picture needs to go there and what's it going to be about? And at times I chose it for the photo and at times I thought the story, how can I illustrate the story? So it was the same kind of process I had with a comic, whereas visuals were very important. It seems that's the way I write with visuals. And I always did in letters too. I always did little illustrations. I was doing emojis long before they were a thing. <laughs> Ages before. Because I just, uh, sometimes words fail me, so a picture will express it so much better. Then I set out all the pictures. And one of the great joys of writing that too was going to the, the Photoshop every week or so and just printing them all out because I was printing them out as I did it and I have a glorious big poster of all 100 pictures and then finally just last year I think before I left Japan I finally printed out all the stories too oh it was for the foreign artist exhibition I submitted all the photos which are beautifully in rainbow order as a, an artwork because mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. they look gorgeous all together and I, I had the books there as well, so people could like dip in and read because they're all kind of standalone, I guess. They got bigger and longer. The first pictures were like two lines. And then I thought as I as it went along, I had more and more to say. I had more and more references to people who were reading them than people who I didn't know were reading them. So I had more explanation and backstory to do. And somewhere around, somewhere around day 24, three weeks in, I, I felt something took over. It wasn't me thinking what to write. Something, some engine roared into life and the stories just became longer and more precise and more exactly what I wanted to say. The backstory, I could just write it in inconspicuously part of the whole text. It became writing. It became writing. <laughs> I wrote it and I put it on social media for, I mean, one, because it's one of the rules, the rules of the 100-day challenge thing, mm -hmm. but also because um, for, people, for people who knew her, friends and family. And the family are the ones who never read it. <laughs> right. But the friends, the <laughs> friends did. And I would, I would put her name on it as well on Facebook. I would write her name on it too, so... All her friends would see her name tagged. And I met friends of hers I'd never met in real life when she was alive mm. online. So, yeah, I guess the mechanics of it took over. The um, the vulnerability of it, I guess I stopped feeling that, perhaps because of the response. But what I actually actually got addicted to was that, Writing about her, I was spending time with her when she was gone. I was mm. there with her. Yeah, she was there with me. And at the beginning, it, it was it was all quite sad. But after a couple of weeks, I was like, okay, great. 
I'm going to hang out with Vary and talk about this bit. I'm going to remember this bit. And sometimes I'd be like, it wasn't an honour thing, but sometimes I'd be aware that what I was going to say would perhaps not be something she would have wanted to hear, like talking about her bipolar. Mm-hmm. But I was still with her. I was still with her, you know, and she was like a silent witness. And I was saying, look, babe, this is how I felt about it. Mm. So I was still spending time with her, even when I had, even though I was dissing her. <laughs> right. I wasn't really dissing her. I was just, you know. That's a beautiful way to look at it. It was so real, though, and because and I think I wrote about this in the memories, but when you talk about someone who's gone to someone who knew them or not, it doesn't matter. It's such a minimal conversation. You go, oh, I remember when Barry did this, and they go, oh, yeah, finished. Right. But writing about her, with her, I was with her, and writing takes a long, long time. Yes. Even if it takes you like five minutes to read, it takes you three hours to write. Maybe, so yes. those three hours or more, I was there with her having the, a really deep, good conversation with someone I loved. Yeah. It was fabulous. And I was with her every day for three months. Do you still Super. do that? Do you still visit her in writing now? No, I don't. I could, I guess. I could. I don't know. It kind of feels like writing a letter to someone you've fallen out of touch with. You don't quite know what to say, hmm. which is bizarre since there's, 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 there's no one say. else who's taken her place. But <laughs> right. there's loads to say, yeah. I sometimes, I sometimes chat to her, but not writing. What do I have? Okay, I have a story, a kind of story. <laughs> No, it's, it's only seven lines, six lines, but it's from a true story. Okay. Okay. Do you know the Peter and Jane books? No. Little thin, um, learning to read books from England, and they've been mocked and memed and made into adult books now. But they were like Peter and Jane. <laughs> Are these Peter and Jane? Sort of see the dog run. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know okay. them, but. Okay, this is called The Elephant Trap. Okay. One fine day, Peter and Jane dug a hole in the drive to catch elephants alive. Dad drove into it, broke the chassis, came upstairs and gave them a thrashing. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's quite good, actually. (laughs) That's not bad. No. Thrashing and chassis. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's an unconventional rhyme rhyme scheme, but I like the moral lesson that's suggested. (laughs) When did you write that? In Botswana? No, but the story comes from Botswana. Me and my brother dug a hole in the drive to catch elephants, and my dad drove into it. It's a true story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I must have been four, and he was 11, so I'm sure the hole we dug was, like, no bigger than a pothole, but still. Apparently, it did some damage to the car. Little background to this. Um, at school, I learned a few old poets. I didn't learn Keats, but the upper sixth girls had some problem with us third years, 13-year-olds, and they, as a punishment, they made us memorise a poem each to recite to them. Mm. And the one that I was 
given to memorize was Endymion by Keats. And that's the only Keats I know. I fucking hate Keats because of that. <laughs> anyway, in 1998, I was in love with some guy I met. Actually, the guy who brought me to Japan oh. a year later. Yeah. Anyway, we'd met on my CELTA course in Madrid. I'd been with some shaman at the time who was in England, dreaming about me being ripped away by a monster because I was falling in love with Ian. Mm. Ian from Scotland. Oh, dear. Anyway, Ian from Scotland. I broke up with the shaman when I got back to England. And Ian went off to Austria to teach. And then he blasted through to England. We got together for a glorious week on his way to Peru. And off he went to Peru. I followed him there a couple of months later. Anyway, between that time, mm. I wrote a poem. It's called Endymion on Ian's being in Peru. <laughs> That's already great. After Keats. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Dear lover mine, indeed, Ian, weep not so. Why shouldst thou pine? When striding up Andes, exhausted you'll be. I'll not be the air you breathe, sweet, nor even breathless leave thee. It's the lack of oxygen, not me. Hmm. <laughs> My very, last. Very I'm scientific. Sorry, <laughs> Do you still last... write poetry? Do you still write stuff like that? Oh, the last time I tried to write a poem, oh, what an occasion, was the time, it's called Pounding the Bones, and I don't remember the poem, and I don't even know which journal it's in, probably 2017. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I was on my way to England with um, an urn of Varys cremains to give to her father. In Japan, they don't do ashes. They do bones. I'd, done, I'd been to the Japanese cremation thing and I'd got the silver chopsticks and I'd picked out bones. And I'd even called and said, bring me two more urns because there's three family members it needs to go to. And I picked as many bones as I possibly could. But the time came to bring them to her father and I thought he is going to freak the fuck out if I give him a jar of bones, because, you know, Brits are probably not used to that. They're used to nice, sanitised, ashy grit stuff, if at all used to. In most of the Western world, you get ash, which is kind of like the grit you put on, on snow. Right. I remember from throwing my mum's ashes into the sea in Cape Town, um, it was a plastic bag, and it's kind of gritty, but also very fine bits. So I kind of flung them into the air thinking they'd romantically whisk away uh -huh. and what happened was the grit went straight down and the ash went into my face coated, with coated my face so that's what people are used to if they're used to ash at all anyway there's no way I was going to give her dad like bones and there was a jawbone in there with a tooth still in it I mean yeah in Japan they bring they the coffin goes in to a thing that looks like an elevator, comes out, yeah. and it's just a skeleton, a very white, powdery skeleton. And you, you, you pick them and pass them from 
that's the only time you're allowed to use your chopsticks between to pass stuff you pass right. the bones right to the head where the ossuary is and it's a little thing and there's like seven specific parts you have to get you need a rib bone you need a a bit of um cranium and the man the man who's doing the cremation thing will will take a bit of cranium and crush it with the end of the chopsticks so it's a bit break it up into smaller bits so you can get it into the ossuary which is wow. tiny yeah, I, I had no idea. Not well, you'll see having, it one day, no doubt. Yes, no, I'll be going through it someday too. Yeah. Someday. Anyway, I had this jar of bones, and I thought I cannot give this to her father; he'll freak the fuck out. I don't know what he intends to do with them, but if he plans on scattering them into the wind, <laughs> right. Mm. So I got the bones out, and I put them in a ziploc bag, and I wrapped it in a tea towel, and I got a hammer. And I pounded my late wife's bones into powder on the living room floor. And I remember while I was doing it, I looked up and there's a picture of us, me and her. And she's smiling her head off. And I was like, yeah, did you ever imagine that I would be doing this? <laughs> and anyway, she, no, she split Vic, the bag. Just, just a sec. Left- <laughs> just a, were you okay doing that? Was it painful? Was it funny? Was it? It was all of them. It was all of them. At first, I was like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I just laughed. I laughed my way through it. Yeah. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> right. So at first, I was like, oh, these are her bones. But that was really brief. And then I, it was hilarious. <laughs> and you know what? She was, a, she was a bone collector, too. She used to collect bones of animals, and we even buried a uh, roadkill once in the desert somewhere. And we went back two years, and two years later, and dug it up, and it was beautiful bones, pure white, bleached. So I wrote a poem after that, but I don't know where it is, and uh, I don't know oh. it's any good anyway. Okay. But it was it was better than better than the shit you've just heard. Well, it's one of those things you just have to write about because that's just such a fucking weird thing to do. <laughs> it is, yes. But, yeah, I tend to write when something amazing hits my brain, whether it's an event or even a thought or a plan, and then I'll write about it. But I could use Vary as material, I guess, but I don't feel the urge anymore to write about it. Hmm. And the poem, certainly, that wasn't a private thing. It's just it was a dreadful poem. (laughs) So, yeah. You know what I would like to do is actually continue the comic. It's, it's here on the first page. It's here on the first page of the comic. And I will read it to you again. Yes, please. But the story is, the first page story is how I got recruited by the gays. <laughs> and the very first picture, um, it's a little, it's a little like list. It's a list of things. And it says, after a long stretch of Japan's finest expat living, and I've got a checklist. Drunken cracked skull, buy drugs from co-workers, get fired, straight to work from bar, Brazilian threesome, spend all salary, write fangirl porn, support local bar economy, broken heart. That's my checklist of Japan. That's my checklist too, except for Brazilian threesome. (laughs) You should try it. I should. I will. If people want to see your stuff, where can they find it? 
Um, you can find all of my Barry stories on my Instagram. Lot quite far down now because I wrote them in 2016. But uh, my Instagram handle is Victoria four nine seven one. Yeah, on Instagram for Victoria four nine seven one. There's a whole rainbow set of pictures and go all the way back to the beginning. And there's my Barry stories. But the comic is not up online, but it's I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it to a book. Thank you very much, man. Really cool. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Great to talk to with you. the party. No, man. <laughs> that was so good. Good luck with your frosted vagina. In three minutes. Got to go. Okay, man. All the Alrighty. best. Thanks so much. See ya. Okay. See ya, man. Bye. Bye. Many, many thanks to Victoria Taylor for coming on and being so open and generous. That was great. I really enjoyed that. Thanks also to DJ Max in Tokyo for the music. Wayne MD for the artwork, and my son Joe for helping with the intro. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. There's more coming soon. Uh, in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>